Hey everyone, today's episode of Beyond MD is part two of my conversation with Dr. Mark Soth, the Looney Doctor. Last week was part one where we talked about corporate tax and investing efficiently through your professional corporation. Now for those of you who don't know Mark, he's known as the Looney Doctor and for many years he's been educating MDs and other professionals through his phenomenal blog, thelooneydoctor.ca. For those of you who don't know about this blog, it's one of the most fantastic educational resources I've seen in personal finance. Mark has poured so much energy into this and he's done a wonderful job educating so many of us. Whenever I get the chance to sit down with somebody of Mark's caliber, I do like to pick their brain on as many topics as possible. So for many of the topics today, we're not really able to do a deep dive, but they are very important topics, and I'm really interested in hearing all of his perspectives. We're going to be talking about Mark's investment strategy, how does he invest his money, what he considers to be the optimal mix of salary and dividend. I asked Mark about his take on pension plans for physicians, and given everything that he's learned over the years, I was really curious to ask him what moves the needle the most for him and his family, and what would he tell his kids? A lot of people also wanted me to ask Mark about decumulation, so we touch a little bit on this as well. So guys, in the meantime, I want to thank all of you for sticking with me, supporting me, a lot of reviews and ratings coming in, and I'm truly grateful for that because it helps to spread the word about BeyondMD. So you can always reach out to me, beyondmdpodcast at gmail.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn, and Mark's blog is at thelooneydoctor.ca. So here is part two of my conversation with Dr. Mark Soth, the Looney Doctor. All right, Mark, before we move on to part two, I want to quickly summarize, to the best of my ability, the various sources of corporate tax drag. So we talked about if you have so much passive income inside the corporation, you can sometimes lose out the ability to pay the small business tax rate, and therefore you will pay a higher corporate tax rate. We've talked about refundable dividend tax on hand. If you don't release enough dividends, then you're not taking advantage of the dividend tax credits. And then maybe a poor corporate tax structure where you're focusing too much on passive income and not taking full advantage of capital gains. Like, how does that sound? What am I missing there? I don't think you're missing anything, actually. But if I were to summarize it, I, I would say basically your most important thing is having a good diversified portfolio matched to your risk tolerance. And the taxes would be kind of a secondary consideration, even though I know most people don't like paying taxes, but it's part of, you know, living in our country and getting all the services we get. So that would be my secondary consideration. The other thing I would say is to make sure it's simple. Uh, there are strategies you can use that you end up paying high fees uh, to get a small tax savings. And what you've done is essentially, you know, traded fees for for tax savings. So it doesn't really help you. And if you make it too complicated, then it's probably not worth it either, just because it stops you from actually doing things. So what you really want is a simple, low cost strategy. And if I were to summarize the easiest way to do that, one is to make sure you use your TFSA and your RRSP. If you qualify for it, use your FHSA and your RESP. So all these tax shelters accounts that everybody gets, those are actually the best way to get rid of tax drag. They're tax sheltered, where a corporation is not actually tax sheltered. You pay tax on that income, but it is sheltered in a TFSA and RSP, et cetera. Plus, using those shelters allows you to move money out of your corporation and you have it spread out in different account types. So it's not all just collecting in one account where you're going to, when you do that, you're going to grow more passive income in your corp because you're growing more in your corp. So that would be the the easy one easy strategy. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, in terms of the passive income limits, don't worry about it for Ontario and New Brunswick because we we don't have too big of an issue there. Other provinces, it could be an issue. Mark, that sounds really, really logical. So thank you for that. 
Now, for the next part, I really am curious to hear about how you go ahead and invest your money inside the corporation and your registered accounts. And I want to preface it by saying to people that this is not meant to be advice. I try to steer clear of advice on this podcast, but I think people would be genuinely interested to hear how you go about things because it may help people clarify their thinking and just maybe move forward with a bit more confidence and a bit more conviction. So would love to hear about your investment approach. Yeah, I think the there's two parts to our strategy. One is the investment piece. The other is moving money out of our corporation efficiently. And they've actually kind of gone hand in hand. So we've been efficiently spreading money out of our corporation for about 10 years now. So it's in our TFSAs, RRSPs, there's some in the corp. And then my wife has a large uh, personal taxable account uh, in her own name. She's in a lower, much lower tax bracket than I am. So she's preserved her income, invested it over the years and has a pretty good account there. So we're kind of spread out amongst those accounts. So that's the accounts that we use. Uh, in terms of, you know, what do we put in those accounts? Uh, we've gone, we're a little bit more complicated probably than most people need to be. But uh, we've got both our asset allocations around 20% Canada, which is held in our corp. Uh, we've got 20% QQQ, which covers the NASDAQ 100 in our corp as well. So it pays a bit of a lower dividend and it's a bit complicated because it's a, that's a large cap growth tilted fund, but Canada is mostly financials and oil and stuff like that. Whereas the NASDAQ 100 excludes all those things. So it helps to balance that out a little bit and it has, keeps our income in our corporation, mostly just Canadian eligible dividends and not much else. So our corporate income has, has not been very high. Moving forward, we're probably just going to use HGrow, which is a horizon all in one ETF. So we started just using that instead just for simplicity, but I'm not necessarily getting rid of what I already had. And the other problem I would say with, you know, with that NASDAQ 100 is that it, you know, over long periods of time, small cap, and value stocks and profitable profitable stocks tend to do better. So we do have a small cap value tilt uh, in the rest of our portfolio. So we're about 20% AVUV, which is a small cap value US ETF that also has some profitability built in there. And that's mostly in my, well, that's all in my wife's account really. And then we have our usual total US market for about 20%. And then the non-North American piece is mostly in our RSPs and TFSAs. Okay, Mark, I think there's one thing I realized I forgot to ask you. Like you've talked about on your blog about how to pay yourself in the corporation. You've talked about salary, dividend, and we've talked about both, why both are important. And dividends can be important to release those tax credits. But I'm wondering if you can just talk a bit about the optimal salary dividend mix. Yeah, so I think this is the other part of having a really good corporate strategy is how do you get the money out? And it's important to know about this because you have to ask your accountant and know if it, what they're saying makes sense. Because one of the most common things I see people getting into is they get the advice to just keep everything in the corporation and don't bother paying salary. Don't bother using any other accounts, just give dividends. It's nice and easy, which, you know, sometimes that can be the right answer, but often it's it's not the most common the right answer if you want to be optimal from it is often a mix so the way that you, i would look at it is the first thing you want to do is make sure that you're getting the refundable taxes back to your corporation so that generally means giving enough dividends to release the refundable dividend tax and then you would use salary to make up the gap because salary is a little bit more efficient with the tax integration plus it gets you RRSP room and 
what this means in practice is usually when you're starting out, you're giving yourself mostly salary because you don't have much passive income. And then as your corporate portfolio grows, you start to give more and more dividends. And if you're not spending enough money that you need salary and dividends, you may end up just giving just dividends at some point, but that'll probably be a little bit further down the road. And this is, it's really interesting, actually. This is something that Ben Felix and uh, Braden Warwick just did a white paper on using IPPs. And I've been looking at it as well with RRSPs and salary and dividends. And that's exactly what happens when you look at how to optimally do it. You start out with a lot of salary, then you start to give more and more dividends as your investment portfolio grows. So I would start with the amount of dividends I need and then use salary to make up the rest. So that white paper by Ben Felix, certainly something I'm going to dive into a lot of detail. And somebody sent me that to read and I was so blown away because I think it's something that we've needed for a long, long time. And I think in that paper, like he talks about IPPs, individual pension plans, and you just brought them up too. And I did want to get your take on this, Mark, because initially I thought a lot of people would be affected by the passive income rules. But then, I mean, as we talked about Ontario, New Brunswick, there's going to be a lesser impact. But still, I'm really curious on your take. Do you see these plans potentially of being of value? And are you looking into them for yourself to maybe mitigate some of the tax impact inside the corporation? Yeah, no, that's a great question, actually. So the paper that Ben Ben and uh, Braden did shows that if you're using a financial advisor, which means you're going to be paying fees similar in the IPP to what you would use in your RRSP, uh, then there's a benefit to using an IPP. It most you know happens after the age of 40, and you have to have been paying salary up to that point to really take advantage of it. But there's ways you can use the IPP to grow it and, and then... Uh, get an advantage. The advantages of an IPP are best if you have a large chunk of your portfolio that has a low expected return. So let's say you have a big bond chunk, because what you can do with the IPP is if it's not uh, giving the return that the actuarials would set out, you can top it up from the corporation. So it's a way of moving money to the corporation to a tax sheltered account. Uh, that is even better if you have a low expected return. So they showed that if you're mostly if you're 100% equities, the benefit is maybe 10%. I can't remember the exact number, but if you're using fixed tic- fixed income, it's much higher. So that's one factor to consider: is what's your asset allocation. The other factor to consider would be the fees associated with it. So they did a their study was didn't really use fees as part of the inputs because the and you'd be paying the same fees in either because you're using an advisor. But the issue for me. One is that I'm all equity at this point. Uh, the other issue is that if I were to move my low-cost DIY investing strategy to have to use an advisor and to set up an IPP, then I would, you know, the tax savings may be lost by paying more fees for the advisor and products that are in the IPP because it's more complicated to set up, plus all the actuarial costs and things like that. So. As a DIY investor, I'm not going to bother with it uh, because I have a high equity allocation and I have very low fees. But if I were using an advisor already and I had a significant fixed income component, then I think it would probably be beneficial. That is really, really interesting stuff. Like Mark, we, we talked about a lot of stuff today and kind of over the years of, of all the financial nuggets that you've learned, I'm really curious, like what has moved the needle for you and your family the most? I would love to know. Yeah, I think the thing that's moved the needle the most learning about this is is actually taking time to reflect to where I am financially and how I can best use that. Like I said, at the beginning of my career, I was just focused on my job. 
and the just getting by day to day, honestly. Uh, but writing about this stuff and learning more about you know money and how the role it plays in our lives and how we can actually use it has probably helped us uh, the most. It's helped us make big changes. I mentioned that we moved cities and. You know, part of that's based on some of that data. I mean, if you, if you look at the data on where people live that makes them the happiest, it's actually someone who lives in a nice neighborhood in a moderate to lower income area because you have security where you live, but you also hobnob and have relationships with people from all walks of life quite frequently. So when you're comparing yourself to others, which we all naturally do, you're not constantly feeling inadequate. You're actually quite happy and feeling like you're doing pretty good. So Learning that type of research, I think, you know, really jived with how we grew up anyways. So moving back to that sort of environment was big. And that was, you know, so I wouldn't have learned about that and really taken the time to pause and think about it without reading and writing about it. I think from a technical financial perspective, I think learning more about income splitting strategies and optimizing how to get money out of our corporation made a big difference for us because it made a big difference for how much after-tax money we have which is what we need to be able to spend, right? So I did not know about that to the same degree, and that made a big difference. Yeah, so the income splitting is something that I do need to do a deeper dive on and better understand. But I want to go back for a second on some of the comments you made about where you live and the impact that has on you and your family and your outlook on life. Because, Mark, you're so right on all those points. And I can tell you that I myself, I grew up in Kingston, Ontario, a much smaller town than I am now. But for all the reasons you described, like that's why Kingston has such a soft spot in my heart. And when I look at how life is lived today, so much of it is unfortunately driven by social media. Like we're on social media all the time. We're looking at the homes that other people have, how much money they spend. We look at the trips that they go on, what they do for their kids' birthday parties, Honestly, it's nuts. I think it's really, really unfortunate. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Yeah. But one more financial question, if I can. And honestly, I was at a conference recently, the Physician Empowerment Conference, and I asked people there, I said, guys, what would you want to ask Mark? <laughs> and so I do want to pick your brain a little bit on decumulation because like, I know you're still pretty young, but you've been investing for quite some time now through your corporation. You've been pulling that money out efficiently into these other buckets, like your registered accounts, your RSP, your TFSA. And I just want to know, like, with all these buckets in play, I mean, is there a right place to necessarily begin pulling your money from first? And if so, like, how does this help you to become more efficient? I think this is a really interesting concept because, so much of our attention goes to wealth accumulation, but the decumulation part gets less attention. So I just want to get your your take on this. Yeah, this is something that's really interesting. That's why I mentioned the part about after tax money. I've so I made a, a I spent a lot of time learning about it and playing with, it, and I made this calculator which I called the decumulator. But <laughs> that it try to op tries to optimize how much money you get out. And the first thing you start with is how much money do you need to live on. And then the next question I would ask is, okay, what's the money that I have to take every month, which is going to be, if you have a pension, there's your pension. If you have some other rental income, I mean, you get that every month. That's where you're going to have that. And how much do you have left over when that pays to your tax flow? Okay. And then you start accessing your other accounts to make up the difference until you have enough money, essentially, and make sure that you're keeping your corporation efficient. So the general rule of thumb is to try to tax defer as long as you can. Yeah. So you'd you'd ask, ask some of your personal after-tax accounts first, probably. 
And then it gets a little bit fuzzy when you start to get into the over the age of 65 because there's old age security clawbacks. So sometimes you'd want to target your corporation first. Sometimes you'd want to target, target some money from your TFSA. Sometimes it'd be from a personal account. The algorithm changes. So so when, they, when I did the calculator that I built, I, it actually simulates different scenarios and goes back and does it. So there's this is why a lot of people I don't think write about it is because it's actually complicated and it varies by situation. So if you know, this is one of the areas where having a fee only or some other financial advisor uh, make a drawdown plan for you is really, really valuable. And I think that's money well spent. I mean, you can use a, my calculator to get an ID and play with it and it it'll go it'll draw from the different pots and tell you your cash flow is over time, et cetera, and how much you'd have left in your estate, that type of thing. And it adjusts it based on your old age security clawback and your cash flow needs and stuff like that. But it's also one of those things a, a fee-only advisor is good for. I, I totally agree. And I'm going to go learn a bit more about this first, and I will go play in your calculator. Yeah, I'm going to write, I am going to write about it more too. Once I, I, I built the calculator and I just, I haven't had the time to sit down and break it into pieces that people can understand and explain it step by step. Yeah, it's just such an interesting topic. Because like I said, we talk so much about building wealth. But then it's like when you have it, well, how do you draw it down? But there's another author, his name is Fred Vatisse. Now he is an actuary. And I think he does write on this topic once in a while. And I did come across some of his work, it was published, I think a couple years ago in the Globe and Mail. So he kind of said, well, if you have multiple accounts, taxable accounts and registered accounts, then it may actually be to your benefit to actually pull money out in a more staggered fashion. So a little bit from each, not necessarily one first followed by the other. Yeah, it's usually a mix. Yeah, exactly. A bit of a mix. That's what he seemed to imply. But Mark, shifting gears now, big picture topics. I really want to know of all the lessons that you've accrued through medicine, finance, and beyond, what would you tell your kids? You know, I think there's no one thing you can tell them. I think the biggest thing you do is modeling uh and having open discussions. So we talk about uh, this stuff as a family. We don't talk about taxes and and uh, how to use refundable accounts and things like that because there'd be like brain matter splattered all over the kitchen table. But <laughs> but uh, we we do talk about our values and prioritizing where money comes from. And this is probably the most important thing with finances that if you want the money is there as a tool to support you in doing the things that you think are important. And the first thing you need to do with that is actually know what's important to you and what you value most. So you have to learn about what you value most, prioritize that, and you have to prioritize that now and not just leave it for someday because that day may never happen or it always gets pushed off and you can't make up for it later. So you need to be doing that even if it's in a small amount just to develop good habits and keep it going uh, at all times for what's important to you. And that allows you to make all sorts of, you know, decision rules and other ways that you can use to simplify when you face these dilemmas uh, by knowing, you know, where your true north is, essentially, uh, you can you can then use your compass better, which is kind of like using your money. So I think that to me is the biggest financial non financial uh, lesson that that I want to make my sure my kids know, because the other parts are actually just the math. And that's, you know, you can set that up to be simple, automated and easy. But you have to know what you're doing it for. Yeah, Mark, I think that's really beautifully said. And on our end, I can I can share some things as well. Like my wife and I decided that we want to live our best lives today. And for us, the priority is spending quality time with the kids now, 
traveling with them now, seeing the world and creating these memories. We just didn't want to wait for all this to happen later. So I suppose that that is part of our true north. And I mean, it means that we spend more money today, but that's a decision that we're making. And the kids are six and almost nine. I think it's honestly the most beautiful stage. So we really want to make the most of it. And Mark, as we wrap up, any any closing thoughts? Uh, well, I would say we've covered some pretty heavy financial material, uh, but I would again say it's not something that people just uh, pick up right away. You've mentioned reading stuff several times. I've had to rewrite things several times. The biggest thing is to remember what the big questions are uh, for your advisors and your accountants. So you have to need to know what your values and preferences are. You have to know a little bit about refundable taxes and how the accounts work so that you make sure you talk to your accountant about that and make sure you're emptying out those notional accounts. Because if you don't mention it, they may not mention it either. And they often look at one year at a time or a couple years at a time. So you do need to know a bit about that. But the thing is, you don't need to know it all at once. You can read it more than once. And the biggest thing is to know where you can look and find the answer easily uh, when it does become relevant to you. Because it's not, a, you know, things we talk about are always relevant right away, but they will be eventually. Amazing. And I think that for people who are looking for more financial educational content, I think, Mark, one of the best places they can go is to check out your blog at the looneydoctor.ca. Like, you've done such an amazing job with this blog, educating people. And for me, it's just a total honor to sit down and talk to you today. I really enjoyed it. Well, it's an honor to be here. And, you know, I, I love the work that you're doing, too. And I really think that having the, the work that you're doing and I have my own angle, other people are big contributors on Facebook and with their own blogs and books, etc. So I think having all of these different media out there and all of us working at different angles, I think is great. So I'm very happy to be a part of it. Mark, thank you so much for that. Honestly, it means the world to me. And it's been great to talk to you. And I hope you have an amazing long weekend in May. Thanks. You too. All right, guys, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Mark Soth, the Looney Doctor. Our social media links are all in the show notes, and I will see you after Labor Day. Enjoy the summer, enjoy the beautiful weather, and until next time, stay well, stay savvy. <laughs>